Welcome, welcome, welcome to Above Replacement Radio. I am your host, Chris Gianta. I might be becoming a bad baseball fan who can't enjoy the romantic things because of advanced statistics. 15 years from now, I want to be on the early baseball committee. Over there on the other side of the screen is Daniel Kern. I literally have the fan graphs hoodie, the baseball reference t-shirt, just repping some stats, you know what I'm saying? It's not necessarily Hall of Fame. It's not necessarily above average, but we can guarantee you we are better than just the standard replacement level college sophomore. And welcome to Above Replacement Radio. We're talking baseball kind of whenever. I am your host, Christian. Over there to my actual left, as you cannot see on YouTube, unfortunately, is Daniel Curran. How you doing, Daniel? Chris, I am doing well today. Um, I don't think we expected our next pod to be recapping both LCSs, unless we just had a very busy week and had to push off the pod for a while, but... It's been less than a week since we last recorded, and we are now breaking down the end of both LCSs. Yes, yes, we are. I mean, it's yeah, it is surprising. It's like, oh, that's that's it. That's all it took. Yep. Um, especially with how competitive the Phillies Padres series was, you did not expect it to go uh, only five games, but here we are. It was still a great five game series. It was a yeah. Can't can't say the same for the ALCS. Yeah, no, you couldn't. That um, series kind of <laughs> sucked. So we have, of course, the rematch of the 1980 NLCS. I mean, you got you got some you got some history between the teams. Uh, obviously, the Astros. Um, you know, Astros have a lot of they they they've had a lot of um, you know uh, a lot of pressure after the cheating scandal. But I don't think anything amounts to the amount of pressure of avenging their 1980 NLCS loss to the Phillies. Um, it's a uh, Especially, you know, they lost they lost the last game in extras. Um, it's going to be uh, it's it's a lot of pressure on Houston. When was the last time uh, a World Series matchup was also an LCS rematch? Um, like the Brewers had a, had a reversal where they had an LCS matchup that was a World Series rematch with the Cardinals in twenty eleven and nineteen eighty two. Right, but I mean, yeah. The, Astros Braves was LDS, but not LCS. Mm-hmm. Um, and then yeah, Astros Nats never really happened. No, definitely never happened. Neither of them were good. From like, well, I guess the Astros Astros were good from two thousand five, but neither of them were good from two thousand six to two thousand twelve. Yeah, no, and uh, <laughs> and yeah, like, yeah, I don't think that's happened. So yeah, now we have it. It's a fun, fun little. Uh, Fun little thing to, uh, fun little narrative, and I'm sure that the, I'm sure that that footage is going to be played like every game, and we're gonna, we're gonna get it, we're gonna understand it. Um, Mike Schmidt, what did he do in that series? I'm sure he did. It was 1980, right? He, Mike Schmidt did not do lot. well. Really? He had 208 with a 490 OPS. Oh, you know who else had a 490 OPS? Aaron Judge in the playoffs, right? In the whole playoffs. In the whole playoffs. No. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Where do we? Where do we? Uh. Where do we start here? Talking about. What, what was the 1980 Phillies logo? <laughs> what is that? Go to go to Baseball Reference if you're listening to this and look up 1980 Philadelphia Phillies and they have the weirdest logo I've ever seen. Um. Yeah. It's a. Uh, it's pretty funny. What? It's not. It's not quite 1929 Detroit Tigers, but it's it's something that's for sure. Steve Carlton had ten and a. It looks like a wins. little play on the old Quaker logo. It kind of does. Or on the old Quaker name. 
Yeah. But yeah. I really wish. Uh, so Chris, we joked before the show how it's you know it's the Quakers versus the Cold Forty Fives. I really wish the the Phillies were a rebrand from the Quick Steps. That would yeah, have been way more fun. Right, yeah. Quick Steps and Colt 45s. Some yeah. alliteration there. Yep. Yeah. Even though they start with different letters. Yeah. So yeah, this is gonna be this is this is gonna be fun. We'll get into a preview later on. But I mean it's it's two like kind of opposite teams. Uh I mean, first of all with seeding, I mean the Astros were the one seed, uh, had the best record in the American League. Uh the Phillies um were the sixth seed and uh, you know, really had to fight to get here, played an extra series to get here, but there they are in the same place. Um, so do we want to get into uh, Padres Phillies first? And uh, time to get into some series previews that we definitely uh, haven't talked about yet. Definitely didn't record on previews? Monday. I thought it was the recaps we had to do. Oh, oh, right. Yeah. Recaps. My bad. Definitely not the recaps yeah. that. Uh, no, no, no. This is a fresh recording. We are doing this for the very first time. Uh, yeah. The audio is one for one, picking up, not one for two. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, like, m- the space in my computer, uh, there's definitely enough There's definitely enough. the first time that we're recording this. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, just a little oopsie on the, uh, on the production side of things. And, uh, yeah, ha- have to re-record on Thursday. We originally recorded everything on Monday. And I think we I think we recorded pretty well, but unfortunately, yeah. no one will ever be able to know. Nope. It's just just for us and our memories. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, the LCS has happened. They were pretty quick, uh, you know, kind of uh, disappointingly quick. What did you think? It was disappointingly quick, but also, like for me uh, in my fandom, was kind of. I mean, I don't want to say perfect. I would have liked to see a little more Padres wins, but like the the series that ended in five, the NLCS was still very competitive. Yeah, absolutely. Like and the ALCS, not competitive at all whatsoever. Right. Even like, even with the scores, like it was much less competitive than the scores gave off. Sometimes, mm-hmm. like for example, the Astros won Game One; they won it four to two. The Phillies won Game Three, four to two. But they felt like two completely different games. Yep. Like, uh, you know, like part of it also with the Astros is like you really expect them to win. So when they got up and their bullpen was doing well, that was expected. Whereas if the Phillies got up and their bullpen was doing well, that is definitely not what we expected. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> we definitely didn't expect just Alvarado and <laughs> Sir Anthony Dominguez and even like Connor Brogdon to just shut it down. We expected some sort of catastrophe, and most of the time it just didn't happen. Yeah, pretty much. Um, so, yeah, the first series to get into here is Padres-Phillies, uh, where, yeah, as we mentioned, Phillies finished in five. Um, kind of as we expected, like, home field advantage played a big part and definitely, definitely happened in Philly. Yep. Like, um. uh it was uh home field advantage in Philly is the real deal. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's that that's definitely my big I mean, you know, it, it was pretty clear in the Brave series, but like it's hard to make that conclusion after two games just because it's two games. Um but man, it's that's that's real. It's it's interesting cuz we, we obviously haven't seen it in 10 years. Right. But that Philly crowd gets up. Yeah, like Daniel and I weren't at, 
nearly as big of baseball fans when like the last time they were in the playoffs and also like you know when a team goes to the playoffs a couple years in a row i think that environment gets kind of more used to the play gets a little more used to the playoffs like i felt that you kind of felt that at fenway like in 2018 i think red sox had been to the playoffs a couple times in a row and you know the atmosphere just wasn't quite there whereas like this is the first time the phillies have been in the playoffs in you know 11 years and it's a you know philadelphia is a very sports-centric city as well so it's going to bring that noise and it doesn't it doesn't even matter what what uh time of day it is what the weather is like you know we saw it in the middle of the day against the braves we saw it just in the middle of the day on a sunday in just the rain against the padres and obviously at night on uh friday and saturday against against the padres yeah and i imagine that'll it'll stay a consistent factor um as uh as we as we move along um but game but uh the series the nlcs started in san diego not too much to take away from the game other than that giant home run by Kyle Schwarber. Yeah, we were recording during that game too, so it also doesn't help for this program yeah. particularly. Um, yeah, I mean, ga- well, game two was definitely very back and forth. Uh, Padres were out big early. Phillies came back. Um, you had some notes, I believe, on that game. Yeah, and and the only bit of notes that I could find post-game uh, regarding... Uh, regarding game one was Zach Wheeler. I think there were some, he, he had a little bit of luck on on his side in, in game one. He did still have a dominant performance with eight strikeouts in one walk and, you know, seven shutout innings. Uh, but he also allowed three barrels that were all outs and also four batted balls in the sweet spot at 98 plus miles per hour uh, that were also all outs. And, um, Oh yeah, one one thing from game one is Wheeler was taken out after eighty three pitches and it worked out. Do we want to get into that decision and how it actually ended up working out and no one's talking about yeah, it? Yeah, that is definitely like there is such a double standard in the baseball world with people with like, you know, guys getting taken out early and whatever happens after that. Because, you know, the the, the prime example was Blake Snell getting taken out of the, the World Series in two thousand twenty. With he, I mean, to be fair, that was a bit of an extreme example because he was at like sixty something pitches yeah. in the sixth. Um, yeah. So yeah, like that one sure, and you know, obviously everybody talked about it, and everyone was like, took him out too early, blah blah blah, and no one would have been talking about that if Nick Anderson had stranded a runner on first with one out. Yeah, and uh, what was perfect, like when we talked about it on this particular podcast, mm-hmm. like we actually pointed out examples from previously in the postseason where literally it was Snell who's taken out, you know, mid sixties and pitches and had like five shutout innings under his belt and it worked out perfectly and the Rays didn't have a problem and they won and no one, no one talked about it at all. But, uh, you know, it's more of a spotlight when that decision, when that type of decision fails. Yeah. And I mean, it worked out for the Phillies and you didn't hear a single word about, Hey, great job by Rob Thompson to take him out there. Right. Yeah, no. <laughs> not at all. Uh not not one bit, but uh but yeah, it worked out. Padres uh eh, you couldn't you can't really say they threatened when they just had a guy on first in the ninth inning. It just they they had that one error 
where it just looked like it was all going to fall apart. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because, I mean, the, the Phillies' bullpen, to their credit, has been fantastic, but the yeah. defense has still been kind of questionable. Very shaky. You know what's very funny? Uh, Mike Petriello just pointed this out on Twitter, but the Phillies ranked third low, third fewest in errors throughout the season this year, and also Nick Castellanos did not have a single error this year. Yeah. Which, to be fair, you know, he did play a lot of DH, but also it's still kind of wild to think about because he was out in the outfield pretty consistently as well. Uh, let me just check real quick. How many games in the outfield did he play? Uh, 123. Yeah, I mean, and zero errors. Yeah, well, like when you, <laughs> you only DH for 12 games. When you're slow sure. to when you're slow to the ball, and you just don't get to I guess, it. I guess, it's that, a hit. <laughs> if anything, that kind of just proves how dumb errors are. Yeah, and I like I think people have pretty much understood that for a while. Um, right. Like, what was Nick Castellanos like OAA this year? It, yeah, negative double digits, I would imagine. I would imagine bottom 10 percentile, like a, a bright blue. Like, I'm colorblind, but I could still see that that's very much a blue circle. Yeah. <laughs> that's what I'm guessing. Yeah, third percentile, that's what I thought. Right. Yeah, I mean... Um, yeah, that shows you everything you need. And not only that, but like six percentile outfielder jump at uh, 57 percentile sprint speed, which, if anything, that makes it worse for him because it's like, hey, this guy's fast, but he still can't get to the ball. Right. And we've we've talked about it. We talked about it on like our our stats episode, mm-hmm. episode episode one sixty nine shout out. But uh, it's an evergreen episode. Evergreen episode, no doubt. Um, where like, hmm. I think I used an example of like if you have Adam Dunn in center field and uh, you know Byron Buxton in center field, you know a, Adam Dunn is not going to get to certain balls that Byron Buxton will. But they'll have the same exact. They could still have the same exact fielding percentage. Adam Dunn could could still have a better fielding percentage than Byron Buxton. But Byron Buxton made way more plays uh, in center field than Adam Dunn did. So, you know, that's why you can't really look at fielding percentage. You have to look at, you know, the amount of plays these guys are making, and then you know, Statcast as a whole whole new element because they have like. Uh, expected catch percentage versus actual catch percentage. Mm-hmm. That's been on display a lot during the postseason is catch percentages. Yeah. I've seen that in this postseason more than really ever before. Right. And <laughs> it would be funny if it was flipped on its head and used for Nick Castellanos. <laughs> um, because, yeah, there have been w- some ones where, like, there's just that signature, and this is how I would look in the outfield personally, but that signature, like, where he he reaches and he's like kind of bent over mm-hmm. and just can't quite get to it. Yep. But he's not gonna die. He's not not someone that's gonna die. But hey, that's not an error though, right? That's a tough play. That's a tough play. Yeah. 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 It's not not an error. And yeah, you you literally have to touch the ball to uh to get an error. It's so stupid, dude. Yeah. It's the worst. It's it's the definition of eye test for sure. Right. Um. Yeah. It, it just doesn't work it, like that at all. You know, errors have their their place. But, you know, it's not the best. Uh, fielding percentage, obviously, is not the uh, the best way to evaluate defense. But yeah. that, that's, uh, that's another conversation for another day, but a f- fun thing to talk about, no doubt. Game two, uh, yeah, I do have some notes on game two of the NLCS. Uh, teams combined for a 386 BABIP. Part of that had to do with, you know, some baseballs just falling in. Uh, some of that had to do with some hard line drives. Aaron Nola, in particular, did allow some line drives. He had 15 batted balls. Six of them were line drives in Game 2 of the NLCS. That's uh, 40%. Uh, 40% of his batted balls were line drives. Average is about 25%. So he gave up, gave them up at a higher rate. 
Uh, the Padres did a very good job offensively in game two with 12 hard hit balls, and their bullpen was also great with four innings, one run allowed, seven strikeouts, and no walks. Um, you know, obviously in retrospect, this game doesn't mean a whole lot other than it just extended the series. But, I mean, I think this was kind of a good test of how resilient the Padres were. Um, you know, they could have easily just kind of gone through the motions the rest of the game, but they really came back against a guy who was previously doing very well in the playoffs in Aaron Nola. Yeah, I mean, it, it felt like, and for Nola, it was a lot of that bad memory that we always talk about with him. You know, he's, he's always had some tough luck on the mound. Um, and you know what, he had kind of avoided it in the first couple of rounds, but, it, you know, that game two, it kind of got to him. And I do really wonder what the Astros are going to do against him in game one tomorrow. Um I think we all kind of assumed they were going to go Wheeler Nola, but they did not. Right, Nola Wheeler. Yeah, very. Yeah, very interesting. It makes sense. Yeah, you know, like I guess it is normal rest. But if you could pitch Nola in Game One, you know, it's how big is the drop off from Wheeler to Nola? It's not that outrageous. Yeah, no, not at all. Not, uh, not at like, all. Like I don't think the Phillies' chances are any like better or worse tomorrow or in Game Two. Right. Or just in the series in general. It's not an egregious decision. There was no clear, obvious choice. Even if there was a favorable choice, it still wasn't completely obvious. Um, yeah. As uh, It's almost like, you know, the Mets with Sergio DeGrom. It's like, well, it doesn't really matter. It's game. I mean, you know, to be fair, it didn't work like that this postseason. But in general, right, you know, on paper, if you have Sergio and DeGrom in the top of your rotation, it really doesn't matter which one you throw game one. And I think the same logic applies to Wheeler Nola. They're both fantastic pitchers. Right, exactly. It's not like they're throwing a uh, Ranger Suarez out there uh, necessarily. Uh, interestingly enough, also uh, Zach Wheeler, three six four ERA on four days rest, two five seven ERA on five days rest, and one six seven ERA on six plus days rest. Mm-hmm. So um, you know, pretty incremental improvement. However. It's funny because his OPS against is higher on five days rest than four days rest, so it must it's be probably not that large of a sample. Yeah, is it? right. Uh, well, it's it's ten starts versus eleven starts, so kind of merely coincidental how that happened. But who knows? Um, maybe Rob Thompson was looking at the ERA numbers there. But uh, but yeah, so game two happens. Padres proved to be resilient. Um, they were competitive throughout the series. You know, it was a very close five-game series. Uh, game three uh, goes back to Philly, or goes to Philly. Uh, Ranger Suarez has a much better day than he did uh, against the Braves. Even though, I, you know, against the Braves, he only he only allowed one run, but it was very shaky. He found himself in a lot of bad situations. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, in this one, he was much better. He only allowed one line drive. Uh, which is 6.3% of his batted balls. He also didn't walk anybody, and that's because he threw the ball in the zone a lot more. I know sometimes that's kind of self-explanatory, but 50% of his pitches were in the strike zone in Game 3 of the NLCS. Usually the average is like 45 degree, or 45%, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, or like, yeah, upper 40. So 50% was were in the strike zone uh, against the Padres, against the Braves, where he had five walks, uh, he was throwing the ball in the strike zone 40.7% of the time. Um, so a dramatic improvement, and it resulted in a, in a better start that, you know, got him further in the game also. Yeah, Philly's bullpen, by the way, three or, yeah, four innings pitched, 
uh, five hits, but whatever. But if we're talking FIP numbers, no home runs, uh, no walks, and five strikeouts. Yeah, like they they did everything they could to keep to win that game. And Saranta Dominguez was a big part of oh that. Oh my goodness! Yeah, two innings pitched, one hit, no runs, no walks, three strikeouts. Yeah, he he was unbelievable, and that ended a great five game stretch for him. Um, and a great stat for Dominguez is in the first five games of the postseason, he threw six and two thirds innings pitched. Uh, he allowed two hits, no runs, no walks. And struck out thirteen batters. It was the only. It's the only five game span by a reliever in postseason history with thirteen plus strikeouts and no walks. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dominguez was, I mean, out of control. Well, in a good way, out of control for the Phillies. And then uh, on the flip side, Padres pitching wise, Joe Musgrove, he did not. He he had his. You know, he he did not look like he did in his previous two playoff starts. Yeah. No, Joe Musgrove. Uh, it you know it kind of felt like that was the easiest uh, mismatch on the Padres side, but Musgrove just didn't have it. Right. He gave up a leadoff home run to Kyle Schwarber, and his final line was five and two thirds innings pitched, eight hits, four runs, two walks, five strikeouts, and of course a homer. Um, yeah, I don't know. They kind of just got to him, unlike the Mets and, and Dodgers did. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you mentioned that was that seemed to be the biggest mitch- mismatch on the uh, Padres side, and yeah, when I was thinking, I, I picked Padres in seven. Um, and yeah, uh, I figured like, I figured definitely Padres were, you know, if that was going to be true, Padres were going to win game three. And then I figured the, the Phillies would be up three, two heading back to San Diego. And then, uh, the Padres would win game six and seven. And part of the reason why I had Padres in seven was because I figured, you know, Joe Musgrove against Ranger Suarez, Joe Musgrove is probably going to win game seven. But, um, you know, he didn't win game three, uh, and he allowed a lot of hard hit balls. He allowed six batted balls of above 100 miles per hour in exit velocity. And then and all all six of those batted balls ended up being hits because all six of them had a launch angle between four and 22 degrees, which was, you know, that's between a very like high ground ball, sharp ground ball that yep. probably barely skips the infield dirt. Yep. And... You know, 22 degrees on 100 miles per hour, that could be a home run. And I think, you know, a couple of them were. Um, also, Musgrove allowed eight hits in this game, as you mentioned. He allowed seven combined in his previous two starts. Wow. And he also allowed six line drives in this game three start. He allowed five combined in his previous two starts. So in his start against the Phillies, he had a 35.3% line drive rate against. In his previous two playoff starts, he had a 15.2% line drive rate against. So you know it. it you know I think I think a lot of it has to do with the Phillies' offense and how they were rolling. Because yeah, I, like uh, my my tweet is so perfect. Yeah, it, it's 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 aged like fine wine. It really has. Yeah, it's. <laughs> And like every the the second half of that tweet that's more negative towards the Phillies still true. Yeah. Like I don't think anyone. I I saw a great tweet that I sent to you where it was like the Houston Astros are this like you know this baseball death machine, uh, that just stops for no one, and the Phillies are the equivalent or like the baseball equivalent of the uh, that sign can't stop me because I can't read. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. And yeah, the the tweet Daniel is referencing is uh, where he 
you said you based the premise was that like they can they can be a real threat in the World Series, but also they have to make the playoffs and not end in a catastrophe like they have before. Or, and that's an, and it's no guarantee they make the playoffs. Yeah, and they and it took you this know one too. Yeah, they had a they. What was their record in September? Well, I know they. I know in their final twenty games they finished seven and twenty three or seven and thirteen. Yeah, and they were teams they should have beaten too. Yeah, it it kind of took the Brewers blowing it for them to, to yeah. make it in the playoffs. They like if if the Marlins didn't score off Devin Williams in the ninth in that one game, none of this is happening. Yeah, probably not. Yeah, like <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, the Braves are probably. Still in this, <laughs> in some in some form or fashion. Yeah, we would have gotten Brewers, Braves, or well, I guess we would have gotten Cardinals, Brewers. Um, which who knows what happens there? I think the Brewers right. are are probably out homering the Cardinals, uh, and maybe out pitching them as well. Yeah. So let's let, let's just say the Brewers win against the Cardinals. They might not. They probably don't. Yeah. But then they face the Braves. Like, come on. Yeah. And this is why. This like, is who who in that offense is getting hot? This is this like is Rowdy Telez. Sure, but I don't think there's enough guys around him. Yeah, like this Yelich isn't Yelich. Willie Adamas is decent. Colton Wong is decent. Yeah, but it's that offense at is the, just not. At the good. end of the season, I was actively rooting against the Brewers yes. and for the Phillies, and this is why because like the Phillies pose m- so much more of a threat, even if yeah. sometimes they're not the better team. By the way, big news with the Brewers today: David Stern stepping down as president of baseball ops. Yeah, interesting because he's a very sought after uh, guy in the executive world. Yeah, um, and I know I think he's still in the organization just with a lesser role, which is weird. Which yeah. it kind of leads me to believe like he's probably looking elsewhere. Right. I, I don't, don't know. know. Like. Uh, He's a very smart individual. You know, he's he's built really good teams on low budgets before. Like, why is someone else taking the reign? Yeah. When he's still in the organization. Maybe it's like a simple, like, thing that you never see in sports, but see in, like, office life all the time. It's like, oh, he just wants less hours. Oh, maybe yeah. he wants a little more time with the kids. He's got burnout. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Understandable. Understandable. Hey, yeah. you know, I... W- I want less yeah. air hours. I barely work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> barely do anything. Um, so, yeah, the Phillies, uh, they went up 2-1. Then there's game four. Game four was tons of fun. It was. Yeah, wow. I was uh, I was watching Halloween Ends while watching that game. I was multitasking. That game was way cooler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that movie was awful. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, game four, uh, I mean, the first fun thing you can point out is the starting pitchers combining <laughs> to get two outs. Yep. And, I, I mean, Falter happened to get the he first. He faltered. He, he fought, yep, that's oh, what he did. Oh, my goodness. Got him. Yeah, Falter, uh, he got the first two outs of the inning, or you know, got the first two he guys did. out of the inning. And then, yeah, it was just, uh, if, uh, yeah, if. If I want to go back to the full sequence of events, we could do that. But, I mean, it was a lot went on in the game. Um, Some notes from the game is, you know, the Phillies ended up getting seven barrels in the the game. And four home runs. Yeah. You know, home runs from Schwarber twice. And uh, it was definitely Hoskins twice. Or no. No, it was was Hoskins twice, Schwarber, Real Muto. Yeah. And Harper also went... 
Harper he, also went he had two, two for doubles. four. Yeah, two doubles, two big doubles. Yeah, uh, he, he probably had the highest WPA in this game. Yeah, he didn't. He was second. Yeah. Um. So yeah, understandably Fal- to Hoskins. Falter gets Profar and and uh, Soto out on a pop fly and a ground out. Mm-hmm. Then Manny Machado, Manny Machado homers. Josh Bell singles on a line drive. Jake Cronenworth walks. Then he gives up a double to Brandon Drury, and then he's out of there. And then Hassan Kim. That uh, Drury double drove in two. Hassan Kim gets an RBI single off Connor Brogdon and uh, makes it four to nothing. But then Mike Clevenger starting for the Padres. He immediately allows a, a single and then a home run to uh, Reese Hoskins to make it four to two. Then he walks JT Realmuto and allows a double to Bryce Harper. And uh, Nick Martinez comes in. And then it was kind of like Connor Brogdon and Nick Martinez just delayed the chaos a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brogdon went two and a third innings without uh, al- allowing any runs that were charged to him. Um, and Nick Martinez went three perfect innings. Nine yeah, unsurprisingly, Nick Martinez was unbelievable this series. Yeah. Yeah, six absolutely. Shutout, six shutout innings with, I think, one base runner allowed on a single. Right. And it, he came up clutch, too. Like, bottom of the first... Harper was on second. He got a ground out. Harper moved to third. Man on third. Uh, strike out. Strike out of Bohm and Veerling. Uh, Stott. Stott. Yeah, two strikeouts in a row, and yeah, like Bohm and Stott. Okay, yeah. And then yeah, he <laughs> he pitched a perfect second and third, and then the and then Bob Melvin figured he was a little bored. <laughs> And he wanted to see some more action, so he put Sean Manaya into the game, <laughs> who's been. I mean, Sean Manaya, like you know, seems like a good guy, but I mean, it is a it is a really tough look for AJ Preller that the two pitchers that really blew this game away were Clevenger and Manaya. Yeah. Meanwhile, I mean, I guess everyone else was also a Preller guy, but two guys that were tough. supposed to be like real impact trades. And everyone, I, I'm assuming everyone on the 25 man roster for the Padres is a Preller guy. Um, has to be right. Yeah. Well, when, when like they're they like the, he, he was. Well, he was there in 2015. Right. Um. Yeah. Since the start of August, uh, heading into Tw- August 2014. So, uh, Sean Manaya from the start of August to the end of the regular season had a 6.56 ERA. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he was a lot allowing a lot of hard contact, and that continued into Game Four, uh, where. Yeah, Manaya. He came in. He immediately gave up a double, a scorcher of a double to Nick Castellanos. Uh, he struck out Alec Bohm, and then Bryson Stott hit a line drive single to drive in Castellanos that tied the game up at four. Huh. And then Manaya was out there for a second inning. Uh, well, actually, that was after Juan Soto hit a a missile missile of a home run off of Brad Hand. Bad Hand. Bad Hand. Yeah. The the managers got a little bored and they decided to bring in some guys that were going to give up some runs. Yeah. So it was six to four Padres, and then it's like, hey, you love that first inning. Let's let's run it back. Yeah. <laughs> this is for the fans. <laughs> Sean Manaya walks Kyle Schwarber, allows a home run to Reese Hoskins, walks JT Realmuto, allows a double to Bryce Harper, uh, which scores Realmuto to make it seven to six, and then uh, Luis Garcia comes in. Uh, he allows an RBI single to Nick Castellanos, and then. It was eight to six, and then the Phillies had two more home runs off the bats of Schwarber and Real Muto, 
which made it 10 to 6. And the Phillies bullpen was was very good. Outside of Brad Hand, they were very good. Um, without Brad Hand, they threw seven and a third scoreless innings with eight strikeouts and no walks. And even with Brad Hand, only two runs and eight and a third innings. Um, very solid. And the Phillies, as an offense, had seven barrels. That's tied for the most in a playoff game in the StatCast era. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I think the Phillies' bullpen just continued and continued to surprise us. So, I, you know, I, it's it's a great time for them to heat up, absolutely. It, they've, they've been saving, like, for four years, they've been saving all their success for right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they've just been storing it for the right time. Yeah. <laughs> Coming out, ready That's to... That's just f- how it is. Ready to fire. And then... Uh, and they've fired. So, game four, very memorable game. And then it's game five... Another very memorable game. Great moments. I mean, just a good, like, a great... Sol- like, it It was great that the Padres were able to take the lead so that the Phillies could... Could retake it. <laughs> could retake yeah. it. Yeah. Like, that was beautiful, such... Beautiful setup there. Yes. Love that Melvin ran that play, for sure. <laughs> great baseball. Very... Great, great optics right there. I love that. Yeah. Yes. Um, In front of the home crowd, too. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. Uh, well, yeah, I mean that wouldn't have happened if it was in Petco. Yeah, no, like it, at least the that environment would not be the same. Yeah, the, you wouldn't have the the crowd would not have been as loud. No, um, not z- as loud at least. Yeah, Zach Wheeler, in that game, he uh, pitched great, six innings, three hits, two runs, no walks, eight strikeouts. Um, and yeah, I mean the Phillies' offense was made up off of two home runs first by Hoskins off a 3-0 slider from you Darvish. Mm-hmm. By the way, Reese Hoskins had four hits. It's four homers. Four hits, four homers. Sub 200 batting average, but like an 800 slugging. It was amazing. Um and Bryce Harper with the with the uh two-run home run. Yeah. The swing of his life as Joe Davis called it, which is Yeah. I I really love that Joe Davis is becoming like the new voice of baseball. Yeah. Like I think people are going to get behind it very quickly. Right. Like you know, it, he's it's good because he has like the class like, you know, the classic broadcaster take that you want in mm-hmm. those big game moments, but he also he he's not uh doing offhand commentary about like how players need to bunt more. Yes. Like it's a good, it's a great balance that Joe Davis has. Yeah, he's smart and he knows the right moments that could make the right calls. Right, no doubt. And uh, you know he's doing baseball commentary all year with the Dodgers, so it's not like, you know, Joe Buck, uh, you know, especially in his later years, has always been pretty good, but it always felt kind of weird when it's like game one of the world, game one of like the ALCS or NLCS was like his second baseball broadcast of the year. <laughs> yep. Cuz he yep. would call he would call the All-Star game and then it was playoff time. <laughs> and yeah. you know, he's a professional so he's going to do the job, but it still kind of felt weird from an audience perspective. It really did. Like it, I've seen a lot of like I miss Joe Buck tweets. Mm-hmm. Um and I get it. Like Joe Buck was always the guy that you're like, oh, it's a big game. You know that guy's coming. Yeah. Um, yeah. Joe Davis obviously is a 162 guy. Joe mm-hmm. Buck, not that he doesn't pay attention. Like I'm sure he, you know, gets all the storylines during the season and whatnot. He right. has to. He's a sports fan. Yeah. 
Yep. Um, Bailey Falter, by the way, one of the funniest things. Uh, he has so in '84 innings pitched, he had 16 walk or 17 walks and 16 home runs allowed. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, you that's know. 1.8 walks per nine, 1.7 home runs per nine. Yeah, that's that's quite p- quite the XFIT man if I've ever seen one myself. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um. Phillies, by the way, have just in general very good strikeout to walk numbers. Like Aaron Nola was at eight point one this year, which is hilarious. Zach Wheeler was at four point seven nine. Bailey Falter was at four point three five. Zach Eflin four point three three. Uh, Sir Anthony Dominguez, I guess two point seven seven isn't the best, but it's not bad. Jose Alvarado, even with four point two walks per nine, was at three point three eight. Andrew Bellotti, even with four point one walks per nine, was at three point one two. Connor Broadden was at four point four five. Yeah. Yeah, they yeah they've always yeah I think it's a matter of just not giving up home runs sometimes. Yeah, which they don't always succeed at that. But right, um, no one does. So yeah, the Phillies uh they've had a lot of great performers in this series. Bryce Harper hit four hundred with a twelve fifty OPS. He scored four runs. He had five RBI. And Bryce Harper, you know, Phillies have obviously played in three playoff series now. And Harper's had a had an OPS over a thousand in each playoff series, which is nuts. It's crazy to think about, especially considering like small sample size. Uh, Zach Wheeler, you know, Harper also he won NLCS MVP, but Zach Wheeler was a strong competitor for that title. He threw thirteen innings. He only allowed four hits in those thirteen innings. Uh, also, two runs, only one walk, and sixteen strikeouts. So a sixteen strikeout to walk ratio right there. Reese Hoskins, as we mentioned, uh, he hit 222, but he slugged 889, uh, which is, you know, 889 is is 222 times 4. Well, technically it's 888, but you got to round up. Um, and uh, Hoskins had an 1189 OPS. He scored four runs and he drove seven runs in. Kyle Schwarber was amazing. He hit 400 with a 1571 OPS. He scored six runs. And he drove it four out of the leadoff spot. Um, I mean, it's just great when the guys you need to do well do well. <laughs> I mean, like, Harper is under so much pressure in Philly every single day, you know, with that contract. And he is doing it. Like, he's right. very much doing the $330 million playoff performance right here. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, he's he's now been – this is his fourth year here now. Um, so, I mean, I, I can't imagine the pressure if the Phillies hadn't made the playoffs again, but yeah, he's, he's absolutely doing it and he's doing what, you know, unfortunately, because sometimes because of his teams doing what he wasn't able to do in, uh, in DC, you know, not that it was his fault. He had some good performances with the nationals in the postseason, but, but yeah, he's, he's finally going on that on that run and i mean it's been unbelievable to watch uh and yeah schwarber i mean a 1571 ops in that series is unbelievable <laughs> unbelievable i believe that's the fourth highest anyone's ever had in any postseason series yeah probably behind the 2002 world series barry bonds and two others yeah i know, I know. Uh, 1990 no 1989 alcs ricky henderson yeah, one of them because that dude went god mode. Oh my god! Yeah, if you want to go to Ricky Henderson's 1989 playoff game logs, it's unbelievable. In in 
nine game in nine playoff games, he reached base safely twice yeah. in every game. After we stop recording, I need to show you something related to that. Okay. Yeah. Um and uh yeah, I know Paul Molitor um in the nineteen ninety three World Series also had a fifteen seventy one OPS. So mm-hmm. that's me and my my brain working things yes. over. And um, by the way, Chris is still has our prep sheet for this episode pulled up right now and he has not moved from that. <laughs> yeah, no. He doesn't have a phone out or anything. Nope. <laughs> um just big just a big Paul Molitor guy over here. Polly playoffs. Polly playoffs. Um anything uh anything you want to talk about with Padres Phillies before we uh, get into the next series? Yeah. I mean, it was just an it was just an awesome series for baseball in general. Um yeah. as for the Padres, even without Tatis, I really feel like we might look at this as their best chance. And yeah. I was thinking about this. Actually, I thought about this after we recorded last time. So part of me is a little glad we got to do this again so I can include this. But let's say this does end up being the best chance the Padres ever get. That's going to really put a huge stain on Fernando Tatis Jr.'s legacy. True, like yeah. The, the best chance they had and he wasn't there because he was treating ringworm. Yeah, right. And got caught for PEDs. Yeah, yeah, and was probably caught for PEDs, you know, trying to ease pain that he had from another injury that was, you know, not mm-hmm. really, uh, not really accepted in the contract. Yeah, when he plays, but yeah, um, yeah, it it de- it definitely will, especially for really like uh, against PED people, no doubt about it. Um, yeah, it could it could be the best chance the the Padres have. Um, I think it probably will be. Yeah, like maybe that's a hot take, but like they do have some young talent, but looking like in terms of guys that are like twenty five and under, it's really just Soto and Tatis. Yeah, like they're on their own kind of. Yeah, they're in their own league. I think Machado Machado's either twenty nine or thirty. Uh, Darvish is thirty six. Darvish is thirty six. So yeah. yeah. Um, that's your best pitcher right there. You know, even Snell is 29 and, you know, I think he's a free agent maybe after 2023. Uh, and then, um, Joe Musgrove is also 29. Luckily they were able to lock him up, but you know, after a slew of trades that have not gone their way with Manaya, Clevenger, um, among others, uh yeah it it hasn't set them up for good things um later on even this year you know only able to get 89 wins given you know they had a great playoff run but but yeah you do have to think about the future of this team you do uh the Dodgers are always going to be there you know the the Giants could always pose a threat the Diamondbacks are up and coming and there's the Rockies whatever but um yeah, you do really have to wonder how often are we are the Padres going to get this close again in this era? Yeah, and are we going to look at are we going to look at this in the future or being like, wow, Tatis couldn't be there during the best chance his team had, as you know, the face of his franchise, the face of the future of the franchise, and uh, everything that 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 team was liked about, he couldn't be there because of this. Yeah, right, and. Also with the Padres, like the narrative for them for like half a decade was like, oh, they got one of the best farm systems. Wait until 
wait until a few years from now. They're going to be top notch. They're going to be competing yep. for the division. Now, like they're going to have Cal Quantrill. They're going to have Ty France. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're going to have you know Francisco Mejia. You know they're going to, you know, some of them worked out. Obviously Fernando yeah. Tatis Jr. A lot of them worked out for other teams. Yeah, and uh, you know a guy like Mackenzie Gore has gone from like a top like a top three prospect to a guy who's like ah eh, you know it's Mackenzie Gore yeah I mean he pitched decently for us for a stretch of this year but then he got hurt I think right and the point I'm trying I to had, make I had a, a really nice stat at him in like June July the point I'm trying to make is the Padres were a team with a top five farm system for like five years and now according to MLB.com in the midseason rankings their farm system was bottom three yeah traded a lot of guys away and and they lost a hell of a lot of those trades they lost a lot of those trades and like we we previously mentioned Dar- or, uh clevenger and Manaya. not that Manaya was really a huge one but clevenger was a big one also in that series Austin nola went like one for 18 and he yeah. also he also bunted uh or no they bunted to set up Austin Nola. that was so out. stupid that was the worst thing ever yeah uh, part of me thinks maybe trent grisham did that himself because he was over 18 and he just had zero confidence in himself Mm-hmm. So he was right. just like, maybe Austin will get it done, but it was not a good move. Yeah, not it, at all. It sucked. Yeah, yeah. I guess Grisham was 0 for 18, but also I, I looked and I was like looking at the splits and I was wondering because Will Myers had already pinch hit uh, before. Yeah, they only had two backup game. catchers remaining. So like a pinch hit situation couldn't have worked. Even then, just bunting to to put a second out on the board with your season on the line is so dumb, no matter who it's bringing up. Yeah, and then and then I looked at splits, and Grisham actually had a better OPS against lefties. Yeah. Uh, you know, not considerable, but like because Ranger sli- Suarez came in, yeah, slightly better. Yeah, Ranger Suarez was in. I should I should add that. But yeah, you know, that was stupid. But yeah, going back to the Padres, like yeah, they they at one point were setting up a future. Now they're you know, bottom three in the farm system. They have a pretty jacked up payroll that I don't know if they can really next, add much to. Next year is probably the last year of their window because Snell's gone, Darvish is gone. Uh, like, the only person solidified in the 2024 rotation is probably Musgrove. Yeah. You know, at that point, by that point, they got to develop Mackenzie Gore. They got to get some new guys because no one else in that rotation is very, really reliable. I mean, we saw what Clevenger did in the playoffs, and we saw what he did through most of the regular season. Right. Yeah, and, uh, you know... The Giants, you know, Dodgers are always going to be there. Giants can be a bit of a wild card, and they also have, I think, a lot of financial flexibility right now. Yes, and they're big into the Aaron Judge talks right now, and yeah. who knows and what I can, happens I there, imagine they'll go after more big free agents, because I remember when I was talking about them not Farhan, signing... Farhan is that guy. Yeah, because when I talked about them not signing Gosman, I was like, they have a lot of financial flexibility. It's weird that they didn't get Gosman. Um it did work out that they got Rodon at anyway, so it was kind of a for less who did arguably better. Yeah, true. Um, but yeah, the Giants have a good amount of fin- financial flexibility. I think their f- their farm system, I think, is like average, like kind yeah, of. Yeah, that's what I would expect. They mi- have Marco Luciano, who's like their top yeah. prospect. I think Heliot Ramos is in there. They are also a team with a lot of older guys, but you yes. know, Logan Logan Webb is a younger guy that's contributing and. Carlos Rodon, if they are able to, if they keep him, yeah, if they were, are able to keep him, very good asset. Um, you know what's very fun is to Aaron Judge of the Giants is like a, it's a rumor right now, but the Giants open their season in Yankee Stadium. Oh my God! Yeah, yeah that would be nuts. That would be nuts. And yeah, then there's always the hypocritical thing of like the Yankees getting mad for doing 
for other teams doing what the Yankees do, which is pay mm-hmm. a bunch of money for yeah a player or, or like other players taking the biggest offer. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Robinson Cano moment. Yeah, absolutely. He left for the money. What the hell? What the heck? Why? <laughs> to be fair, anyway, he did anyway I'll yeah. have Garrett Cole. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> For three hundred twenty-four million, no one offered anywhere near that. Yeah, like Garrett Cole, he didn't have a choice. Like people forget, after the twenty nineteen World Series Game Seven, where he didn't enter the game, he entered his press conference with a Boris Corp hat. Like he wore nothing affiliated with the Houston Astros. So funny. He moved on the second that Michael Brantley swung and missed at that <laughs> slider. He was like, "All right, I'm." He like, he took off. Maybe he took off his his uniform in the dugout. Yeah. Like he just right. left it at like, maybe it's just still on the steps. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Four years later. Like uh, he was out of there the second that game ended. Right. Yeah. So yeah, the, the Padres are in a bit of a situation. It's been, I mean, yeah, looking at their legacy, like think about where we thought, like if, if you went like in 2019 2018 and said like where do you think the pot where do you see the padres in like 2022 you know they got mm-hmm. they got tatis coming up uh you know if you're thinking before 2019 like oh they just signed machado they got francisco mejia coming up luis urias was a big prospect mackenzie gore was a big prospect you look at that and it's like man this is probably going to be a 100 win team comp- competing in the playoffs every year and it just hasn't been that yeah no I mean, 2020 doesn't help because, like, they were great, but it was also 60 games. I really wonder if the 60-game season and, like, the small amount of success they had there just sent them down a path that ruined them. True. Yeah, because in that year... Like, if the pandemic never happened, are we looking at the Padres differently? (laughs) Like, no, I'm serious. Like, there was another 102 games. What if they went 500 in those games and... Maybe just scratch the surface of the playoffs. Maybe missed it by a little bit. Do you think they go that all in in 2021? And even in 2020 in general, like the trade deadline is really when they went all in. That's when they traded Ty France, Cal Quantrill, all those guys. Yeah. Uh, Matt Brash. Like, that was when most of the damage was done. Like, the Darvish deal was honestly a, a steal for the Padres, and the Snell deal is nothing's really happened there for the Rays. Like, a lot of the, a lot of the trades that messed them up were midseason 2020, after one month of play, by the way. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, I yeah I remember that Clevenger deal. Mm-hmm. Where like I think I didn't foresee it for what it was. I didn't foresee how bad it could be for the Padres because they didn't. The Padres weren't giving up any of the. I I don't think they gave up any like top ten, top yeah. five organiza- organizational prospects, and Clevenger also. Like, he wasn't having a great 2020, but, like, mm-hmm. his 2017 through 2019, he looked great. But, uh, but yeah, it, it totally failed. Um, and, yeah, the Manaya deal, you know, we, we don't know the full extent of how that's going to be either, but could end up bad. I mean, given how we saw the Quantrill or the, the Clevenger deal go. Yep. Um, but, yeah. Uh, anything more on the Padres and that's probably it. So yeah, now we go into the other LCS. Can we can we talk for like ten minutes max on this one? Okay. Yeah. Because I mean, I don't know. The Astros won in four games, and yeah. there was not too much that happened other than the one like roof game. Right. It it was it was silly. Yeah. Um. 
I think I, I mean I think your your the takes that are going to be provided from us are pretty generic and standard. Like stop complaining about the roofs. Like the Astros were hitting under the same conditions. And yeah, some of that batted ball luck was difficult, especially on the judge. Uh, the judge barrel we had a nine ten uh, expected batting average, but whatever happens. Yeah, it happens. It probably happens all the time in yeah. the regular season. <laughs> and not only that, but the the Bregman home run that had a point four expected batting average. If Savant showed expected slugging, no one would bat an eye at it. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I think when we talked about it uh when we originally tried to record was like it's just it feels super lame especially when you're the yankees and you have that reputation Mm -hmm. like the franchise reputation and you're complaining about a factor that affects both teams yeah you're you're that you're that team that lost and complained about it not working your way did you see um the column or whatever was that andy martino wrote for sny he said, like, based on observations, it really seemed like a lot of the f- like the players were, like, upset at the experience they got playing in Yankee Stadium where they were getting booed. Like, the quote he had was, like, a lot of players just don't seem to want to be Yankees. Oh, yeah. Oh, and I oh wonder, you mean Yankees players. Yeah. I wonder if that's almost like a front office leak so they could use that as an excuse as to why they don't re-sign Judge. He'd be like, well, uh, no one wants to be a Yankee anymore. Like, it's the fans. They were booing, and we couldn't pay Judge because he didn't want to be here because he got booed in the, in the, pl- the playoffs. Even though yeah. Because now, now you can't even say, like, oh, you know, he <laughs> he didn't sign with the Yankees. He doesn't want to be like, a champion. I, I don't want to get too political here, but it's like when, when, like, companies will pay workers, like, awful wages and be like, well, no one wants to work anymore. What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, like, also, if you're, if you go after a free agent if when you're the Yankees and they, and they don't come to they don't come to the Yankees. You can't be like, oh, they don't. They didn't want to. They didn't want to come here and be a champion. Yeah, you <laughs> cannot say that. Yeah, <laughs> like <laughs> the the Yankees. Yeah, I mean, they haven't been to the World Series since two thousand nine. They've, uh, you know, the Yankees like the Yankees have a golden standard of excellence. They always will. You know, a lot of teams will be like, like, oh, Yankee fans are so spoiled. Like they complain over a ninety nine win season with a division title and an ALCS appearance, and it's like. It is different. Like the standard is different with the Yankees than it is for other franchises. I don't want to yeah. name anyone in particular just because that's mean, but it that is just what it is. Yeah, and also like even like you know they they won ninety nine games, but that this wasn't their goal. You know, as a Red Sox fan, and I know the Red Sox also sometimes have high expectations. Mm-hmm. But if if the Red Sox had you know been under the same management for five years in a row didn't make it to the World Series and consistently performed under expectations, I would expect some change at the top, change uh, with managers, change with general management. I mean, we, we kind of saw, like, John Farrell, after two consecutive division titles, he was fired uh, because they did not meet their expectations. They lost. They were one and done two years in a row in the playoffs, mm-hmm. and they he was not their guy, and they got a new guy, and they succeeded with that guy. And the Yankees are just refusing to do that. It's weird because a lot of people seem to like Boone outside of fans. Like I think it was Jeter said he likes Boone. Uh, some other executives, like it's you know it's the classic journalists. Like well, one executive that texted me said uh, we love Boone and Cashman, and like if they get fired, like they would be picked up like very quickly. And maybe right. that is the truth, but like under the Yankees, it's just different, man. Yeah, and it's it's just it. You know, he might be a good guy. He might be a good baseball mind, but he he hasn't worked for the Yankees and. Mm-hmm. It, 
he, you know, I think it's also very funny looking back. Sorry to interrupt you, but when the, when the Yankees fired Joe Girardi in 2017, their their like pool of managers was exclusively former Yankees. Right. There was yeah. like seven guys, and all of them had played for the Yankees at one point. And it's like, have you considered maybe looking outside the organization's past? Yeah. Right. Yeah, and like uh, even diplomatically, like with Boone as representation when he's complaining about the roof and also you know showing showing highlights of the Red Sox beating the Yankees 18 years ago and coming back 3-0. That was so funny. Did you see Michael Kay's rant on that by the way? Yeah, and I can't even disagree with him. No, you can't. It's weird. Like I don't know, show highlights of May and June. Yeah, right. Show yeah, show like your wins against the Houston Astros. Yeah, like and those are both comeback wins. It's yeah. like, hey, remember this ninth inning when we were down six three and we came back to win seven six? Let's watch that. Hey, you remember when we were down four to two in the eighth? Let's watch that. Right. Yeah. Instead, like I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine like Tessie playing in the background with like <laughs> David yeah. Ortiz being being Apparently mobbed fa- by his teammates. The fact that David Ortiz also FaceTimed into the meeting was also yeah. And we talked about we talked we talked about this in the original recording, but like as a Red Sox fan, I don't want David Ortiz trying to hype up the Yankees. It'd be very funny if he got him on FaceTime and he was just like, "Yo, you guys suck." <laughs> like they never they never said what David Ortiz said. Yeah, he could have just been like, "Yo, you guys suck." <laughs> it would have been yeah, that would have been so funny. Um, and yeah, one thing Michael K went mentioned very weird that this got to the media. Yeah, like right. it didn't have to. Uh, maybe maybe a fed up player leaked it and asked to be anonymous. Right. But the quote said, like, Boone said Yankees special, or what was it, mental skills coach said that, or did that, whatever. Right. It's, it's, uh... Weird. Very weird. Yeah, I don't know. It's, and, like, every former Yankee is pissed off about it. Yeah, it Rightfully so. Yeah, if you were, like, Ruben Sierra, and you saw highlights of you striking out to motivate the same franchise that you played for, I'd be pissed. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right, yeah, and like, I think, I think it's all been said in those rants where it's like, yeah, it was the franchise's like darkest moment, and it's being used for motivate. Like, you know, if if that video was used for when the Astros were down, th- or yeah, when the Astros were down three zero a couple years ago against the Rays, that you know, it's kind of a neutral team. Like the even still, I th- so like it to to show another team, I think is weird. Like, the Yankees have plenty of highlights themselves. Show the 90s and 2000s if you really want to go back in time. Right. Show, like, what? Even even the Guardians highlights. Like, it's like, hey, we were down in a series. It wasn't, you know, obviously it wasn't to that degree, but they were down in a series. Yeah, Like, right. just two weeks ago. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, just a reminder, like, how talented. Like, you guys are MLB players. You guys won 99 games this year mm-hmm. for a reason. For a reason. It's also very funny that... If the Astros didn't blow blow those two games against the Yankees, they should have gone eleven and zero against them this year. That it would have been beautiful. It is, yeah, it is fantastic. Um, also, also of course, the irony of like this is their this was the Astros' third ALCS against the Yankees. It's the one where we definitely know they weren't cheating and they did it and th- and they won in the least amount of games. Yeah, it was the least competitive series. Yeah, <laughs> the the trash cans were actually holding them back. Yes, they were just doing it to make it a little more fair. Yeah, we were. <laughs> We joked about it in text. It was like, you know, Jose Altuve, he was 
loud. It was loud and it was distracting. It's yeah. <laughs> like, could you could you guys the, stop the in sta- there? The stadium noise was fine, but yeah. like when you hear the the you know, it, it's just it's a different frequency. Like right before the pitch, I'm like trying to focus up here. Yeah. Could you stop? <laughs> yeah. Um, just a little a little statistical breakdown of things. Going into game one, the Yankees struck out 17 times, tied for second most in a nine inning postseason game, and also tied for most in a in a postseason in an uh, LCS game ever. Uh, Verlander looked a lot more like himself in this one. Six innings, three hits, one run, one walk, 11 strikeouts. Also a 36% whiff rate on the night from Justin Verlander, uh, a 62% whiff rate on sliders, and six strikeouts ending on on those sliders. And then in game two, uh, the swings and misses continue to haunt the Yankees. They had a 44.3% whiff rate in game two. That's the seventh highest in a postseason game in the pitch tracking era, which goes back to 2008. Uh, Framber Valdez had a fantastic game. Seven innings, four hits, no earned runs, no walks, nine strikeouts. A, 40 po- a 46% whiff rate from Framber Valdez and a 67% whiff rate on curveballs from Valdez and out of 104 career appearances in the regular season and playoffs from Framber Valdez that was the second highest whiff rate that Framber Valdez had in a single game then also of course in game two that was the roof situation which we mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of went over uh game three Christian Javier I've been I was hyping him up uh before the Mariners series before this series um and uh you know he finished the regular season with 23 scoreless innings he's carried that into the playoffs, well, not the whole playoffs. He allowed a home run against the Mariners, but yeah, whatever. who cares? Uh, Christian Javier was allowing uh, a lot of pop-ups. Five of the 11 batted balls he gave up were 57 or more degrees. Uh, that is tied for the most such batted balls against a pitcher in a game in the StatCast era. And also what should be noted with the Yankees is not only did they strike out a lot, but they still had some opportunities but were unable to capitalize until game four where they you know eventually blew it but the yankees in games one through three uh with runners in scoring position they were one for 14 with seven strikeouts in games one through three and yeah killed them absolutely killed them yeah and yeah astros just looked better the entire series yeah i mean i don't really know what else there is to say about the alcs i mean it's it's really just all you have to do is look at the scoreboard it's not even really like you have to watch the games just oh astros swept yeah that's it yeah, and you know, from a Yankees perspective, if I were a Yankees fan, I would just be very ti- tired of the same old, same old. Even if Boone is a very good manager, I think I think they they need a change of voice. Yes, yeah, like it's not working. Right, like even if he's better than the guy, the than the new guy you bring in, it's still time for a change. I really love seeing all the Yankee fans on Twitter being like, "We need, we need a." Uh Don Mattingly as manager and Derek Jeter as GM. I'd be I'd like, as an outsider, I'm like, yeah, I agree. Yeah, let's, let's make it happen. Let's see it. I'd like you guys to win 83 games. <laughs> next year. Yeah, because <laughs> the Marlins look so good right now. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. We've been hyping them up for a couple of years, and they really showed it this year. Right. Yeah. With their with their explosive offense with ex- 30 whatever it is year old Jesus Aguilar as the three hitter. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Four years removed from a random peak here yeah the last thing i'll say about the series i'll give some stats on who performed really well yeah jeremy pena won ilcs mvp deservedly so he hit 353 with an 1176 ops he had two doubles and two home runs along with four rbi the second of those home runs 
it felt like it sealed the deal in the series. Like the Yankees still had a lead later in that game, but ever like he had the three run home run to tie it in this the third or whatever it was, and it was like, yeah, yeah, they're not there, winning this one. There was a sense like I did, at no point during that game did I think like oh that the Yankees might win the next four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but there <laughs> was I did think that okay they could win game four here. Yeah, they, like. You know, they had Cortez on the mound and, you know. Unfortunately, he got hurt. That yeah, just, that sucks. He was injured. Uh, if he was healthy, you know, it, things could have ended up different. But I was like, you know, Cortez on the mound. McCullough's not looking great. And then, you know, two walks and a home run. And it's like, okay, well, we're kind of back to square one here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, also in game four, Astros went five for ten with runners in scoring position, which helped them out. Yep. And Glaber Torres helped them out, too. And IKF, yeah. And IKF. Yeah, big error there. <laughs> and uh, Astros obviously capitalized. Yeah. What else would you expect? Like, after that, it Every was like single time the Yankees messed up on defense, the Astros immediately made them pay. Like, yeah. there was the, the ball that uh, Bader dropped in game three. Yeah. Chaz McCormick immediately hit a 250-foot home run. Yep. <laughs> off of uh, Cole. Yep. Yeah, at, like, a three-degree launch angle. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Yeah, uh, Alex Bregman in the series hit 333 with a 975 OPS. Also noted with Alex Bregman, he did not strike out a single time in the ALCS. That's crazy. Um, Astros' bullpen balled out like they have been balling out the entire postseason. In that series, they went 12 and two-thirds innings, only allowed one run, and struck out 19 batters for a 39.6% strikeout rate. Uh, a big part of that was Ryan Presley, their closer, who had three saves in the series. He, had, he pitched three and a third innings, didn't allow a hit, only allowed one walk, and struck out six. And uh, when he gave up batted balls, which n- was not often, the average exit velocity was 76.1 miles per hour, which is extremely low. Uh, not really competitive um, batted balls there. And um, I guess, you know, there is, on the Yankees' side, there could be c- criticism towards Aaron Judge. He did slug 063. However, he did have three barrels, and all of them were outs. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, statistically, if you look at his slash line, it's not great. But I don't know. It's not too much to be uh, worried about. But that, that's he, d- he didn't do a lot to help his case, but he also had a lot just n- happen to not go right for him. Right, exactly. Just batted balls, like, right to the center fielder. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I think that's all we got on uh, Astros-Yankees. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so the part of... This episode, where we originally recorded, we were actually able to get our predictions. So, um, I don't know any amended <laughs> any amendments before uh, from from anything happened in the last three days to alter your opinion. Uh, no. Yeah, m- neither have I. Nola's so, Nola's starting game one, not Wheeler. I don't know. So uh, it's time to go back in time and get our predictions and yep. our outro. Um, it's kind of funny that like uh, the the two teams will have the exact same amount of days off, which you don't get a lot. Yeah. Um, so no excuses to like too uh, many days off or not gonna, enough. It's going to make for some fun matchups. Oh yeah. Um, one thing that I, I I'm going to make a bold prediction for this series. If the Phillies win game four, they're winning the series. However, same cannot be said for the Astros. It's not a whoever wins game four wins a series. If the Phillies win game four, because the options for game four for the Phillies, it's either Bailey Falter, who uh, did not pitch well in game four, or Noah Syndergaard, who 
you know, let's be honest, is past his prime. Not quite the same pitcher that he used to be. And from what I've heard from reporters, the Astros are going again with McCullers Game 3, Javier Game 4. Hmm. It's going to be Javier versus either uh, Bailey Falter or Noah Syndergaard, or maybe like Kyle Gibson or something. Point is, going to be a mismatch in starting pitching for the Phillies. It's going to be a home game at CBP, though, where they haven't lost a game. If the Phillies win Game 4, they win it all. However, if the Astros win Game 4, I'm still not going to guarantee anything. Right, yeah. That's just the game they should win. Yeah, in a series like this, it's, you know, you can't look at the regular season factors at all. You know, obviously it's a 106-win team versus an 87-win team. But it's a team It's a team that's 7-0 and in the postseason versus a team that's also 9-2 and in the postseason. Yeah. And uh, has been undefeated at home so far. It feels like the Phillies have played better, though, in a weird way. Um. Yeah, no, yeah, 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 for sure. Like, the Astros have had, have won, I think, one game by more than two runs. Right. And two games by more than one run. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they have a, they've won their games by an average of less than two. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is funny. They have a third, they have a run differential of 13, but they're, you know, they're of, of plus 13 and they're, but they're seven and oh. Um, so they're, a lot of that is their bullpen as well. Like they're doing fantabulous. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, this is a weird series to judge. No doubt about it's it. It's fun that, uh, they played each other the last week of the regular season. Um, th- oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yep. The what? Phillies clinched the playoffs by winning against the Astros. Right. Yeah. It's, and it's weird. And also I've, this is the, this is the third time. We've talked about third time on the show that we've talked about the Astros in the World Series. You've predicted not the Astros both times, and you've been correct both times. I've picked the Astros both times and failed on that both times. That's so true. A lot of me just doesn't want to pick the Astros because they failed me a couple times. I already have my prediction. Uh, yeah, I I still haven't really figured mine out. So I mean, we're going matchups, right? Verlander versus Wheeler game one is going to be an awesome one. Yeah. That's, I didn't know I needed that, but I need that. Um, And then it'll be Framber versus Aaron Nola. That'll be fun. Ranger Suarez versus Lance McCullers Jr. Optimistic for Philly on that one. And then who knows versus Christian Javier. Right. Um, I think it'll be very fun seeing Hector Neris get into one of the three through five games. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh my god. The amount of pain he's sometimes caused that fan base. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a weird series. What do you what what are you thinking for it? I'm thinking Phillies and six. You got Phillies I'm and six. I'm thinking Phillies and six. They're just too hot right now. I know that the Astros are seven and zero, but it feels like the Phillies are playing like they've had the moments, right? Like like you know, the Astros had the moment with the Jeremy Pena home run. But that felt like it just, they waited too long to have it happen. Like, it was just had to happen. They had the Yordan moment, and I'll give them that. You know, that was that was cool. But also, I blame that partially on the Mariners' management. But, yeah, um, I don't know. It just feels to me like the Phillies are this team of destiny. I don't yeah. really know what else to describe it as. Um, I did mention before the ALCS, whichever team has a better bullpen is going to win. That turned out to be correct, because... 
the Yankees bullpen did blow a couple of leads right. or, or tie games late in the game. The Astros have a much better bullpen than the Phillies. But I don't know. Part of me just sees it, sees them getting done, right? Like the yeah. Phillies have lost, uh, the Astros have lost uh, the World Series to two other seemingly random NL East teams where they had a home field advantage before. Mm-hmm. Why can't they do it for a third time? Right, and yeah, it's it's weird. I think also with this Astros bullpen, you know, they haven't. They also haven't faced an offense like the Phillies, who's also as hot as the Phillies. Mm-hmm. Um, the Mariners uh offense. I mean they did well against Justin Verlander, but outside of that they were pretty flat. Yeah. Yankees offense has not like Yeah, they the just Astros, great. I mean is it it's weird though. Like is it well cuz I mean the Mariners offense was pretty good against Toronto. And Yeah, true. They kind of they kind of just fell flat against Houston. The Yankees offense was up and down. You know, they were very inconsistent against Cleveland and they were very consistent against Houston. Yeah, not, not in a good way. Right. I don't know. Like it's it's the case of do we blame bad offenses or do do we say that Astros pitching is that good? Because Astros pitching is that good. Yeah. They are. Right. Yeah, I think like 90% of their innings came from guys with a sub 4 ERA this year. Yeah. Yeah. Also what I think with this uh with this scenario is like park environments mm-hmm. like, you know, the Astros and Playoff environment, it's good, but it's it hasn't really affected the yeah. It hasn't really affected their opposing what's teams. Their, what's that their much. record in the World Series at home since twenty nineteen? Like it's, it's what zero and four plus zero and four plus one and or two and or one and two. Yeah, yeah. So, so one they're one and six. One and six. One and six at home. Yeah, the Phillies haven't lost a game at home yet. Yeah, um, but also I think the Astros are going to be out of the. Out of the Padres and Braves, probably the least affected by the away crowd. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, they've just on the road, I feel like the Astros have just faced a lot over the past few years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, this is a hard one to predict, really. I, I'm going, so I have Phillies and six. I have the Astros winning games two and four. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah, the the Braves one and six, Nats one and seven. Um yeah, uh, Phillies and six does sound like a good, a good prediction. To have the Astros are a better team, but I think the Phillies are going to win. Yeah, and they're going to win. They're going to win in six. No, we got the same we one. We got the same Look prediction. At that. Yeah, yeah. I've been, I, I just flirted around with the idea there, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I see that happening for the Phillies, mm-hmm. and yeah, I think. Also, them having. Three I could see like a. I could see a Castellanos homer into the Crawford boxes. Right. Yeah. You know, Harper taking advantage of every part of that part. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because you know, I like. You know, I I think Wheeler matches up well with Verlander. Nola matches up well with Valdez. Uh, the Phillies bullpen. I can't look at them the same way I did like three weeks ago. No. Um. And the Phillies' offense, momentum-wise, much better than the Astros' offense right now. Mm-hmm. Um, Jordan, we haven't really talked about, hasn't really, like he he got he got a nice RBI single uh, yesterday, but he hasn't been like like the big bad Jordan Jordan Alvarez that he has come to has come to been known as uh, over the past couple years. Um, 
And yeah, I don't know. Like the Astros are objectively the better team. Oh, no doubt. But I, no doubt in my mind. And they have a better bullpen, but you know, I think the Phil- yeah Phillies and six just sounds right. It yeah. just seems right. Unfortunately, yeah. You I guess just, you know they send it back to Houston, and then it's it'll be what a Nola versus Framber rematch. Yeah. Framber pitched Game Six last year, right? No, it was no. Luis Garcia. It was Garcia. You're absolutely right. But you know, like who's not even in the playoff rotation this year? Right. And it's not even because he was bad this year. He was fine. <laughs> they yeah, just right. Were better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Christian Javier just stepped up big time. But yeah, um, we both have Phillies in six. Um, it's. I think it's going to be a really fun series. No yes. doubt about it. Yes, it will. Um, so like, it's going to be overwhelming Phillies support from just the national landscape. Mm-hmm. And I'm not even. I'm not even rooting for them because of the scandal i think i just get tired of the astros here this is their fourth time there in six yeah. years no honestly like i wouldn't even be mad if the astros won i'd be like yeah, no. yeah you know what that's cool like i'd be so happy for dusty oh yeah like i i don't know i i feel guilty get like betting against the astros here because i i really want to see dusty get a ring i'd be very right. happy for him like that man deserves it yeah and the and also it'd be cool for the astros to just fully avenge the scandal and be yeah like hey we did it clean like deal with it yeah, and if they if they do end up winning, they've fully earned it. They've been the best team. Uh, only team that was better in the regular season was the Dodgers, and they couldn't they couldn't get past the Padres. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like they will have fully earned it. You know, they've been the best team in the American League, um, not only this year but just you know over the past half decade, they've been that team. Um, I'm just getting a report here. This is from Mark Feinzend. Uh, according to sources, the Dodgers could become a serious player in this offseason's Aaron Judge sweepstakes. That would potentially move Mookie Betts to second base. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that would be so stupid. And you yeah. know what? It makes so much sense. Like, the Dodgers are coming off a four-game DS loss. Like, they need to do something drastic. <laughs> right. Yeah. But, I don't know. Just put... Could, could Judge could play left field. It's not like they have a big guy like big I mean what they have guy at left field right now right yeah I mean that's very much a rumor it's it's still October 24th like <laughs> there is very much nothing set in stone right that was probably just like one guy in like the Dodgers analytics department being like hey if we get judge we could we could put him in right and put bets at second and that could be that and that was it and that was what they ran with for the yeah, story <laughs> um realistically I don't see it happening no but I don't know you can never count the Dodgers out of any right Big, big name. Like, any any top-of-the-line prize for any offseason, you can never count the Dodgers out. They're always somewhere in there. But, yeah, moving Betts out of the outfield would be very stupid, given how good he is there. Like, yeah. I get that he came up as a second baseman, but mm-hmm. he's not going to provide the same value there, most likely. But, anyway, that does it for this installment of Above Replacement Radio. It does. Um, yeah, uh, some brief LCSs. Some brief LCSs there. And we got a Phillies Astros World Series, one seed versus six seed. Very, very interesting stuff. Um, kind of uh, almost similar to 2019 with a wild card team versus, you know, a team that won well over 100 games. So yeah, should be should be a fun one, no doubt. Absolutely. Um, 
We hope you enjoyed this one. If you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Nothing Daniel. is nothing is funnier than like it's primarily Heyman and Nightingale where they they will take the absolute worst pictures on their phone and post them to Twitter, being like Aaron Judge in his press conference. <laughs> this is this is one that Heyman just posted. Astros fan and funny hat on the Ford train. Y'all cheated too. <laughs> But it's it's the blurriest. Like it looks like the train was moving while he took this. Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. There's nothing funnier than seeing. It's always Heyman or Nightingale, right? Which are like the you know they're like the two memes. Like this this one too. Yeah. Like Yankees celebrate with win with a pick. That was uh, after the DS. Yeah, it was look it looked a like random side view angle. Of the looked like it was taken off my uh, my mom's razor phone back in two thousand nine. Yep. Um, oh yeah, this one. <laughs> this is the division series. Aaron Judge before game, game one. one. He's like, it's like a weird picture of him walking <laughs> to the back of the dugout, not making a very flattering face. Yeah. <laughs> it's always Heyman and Nightingale that take the funniest, stupidest pictures. Well, we hope you enjoyed this one. If you want to follow us on social media, follow me on Twitter at Chris underscore Gianta. Follow Daniel on both Twitter and Instagram at Daniel underscore Kern, and follow the show on Instagram at Above Replacement Radio. Uh, we hope you enjoyed this one, and we hope to see you next time where we will be talking about the World Series. Yeah. See you then. Right. This conversation. This conversation is over. Is over.